1 Kings chapter 17. Let's begin reading in verse number 7. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse number 7. We uh, approach Elijah when he's by the brook Cherith. And that's where our chapter opens. He's been there uh, for an undisclosed amount of time, being fed divinely by the Lord, being uh, given bread at the mouth of ravens and drinking of the brook in the midst of a drought. The Bible says in verse 7, it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but an handful of meal in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks, that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, the barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruse of oil fail until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah. And she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruse of oil fail according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. Let's pray together. Father, we love you tonight. What a blessing it is to be in this place. I pray that you'd take the holy inspired word of God and that you'd wield it in our hearts and minds. Lord, we know that it has the power, the transformative power to change us, but only inasmuch as we'll receive the engrafted word, that with meekness we'll hear it, we'll listen to it, Lord, we'll regard it in our hearts, we'll have a spirit and attitude of self-examination, and Lord, we'd be willing to hear what you have to say to us. Lord, however uncomfortable it may be to our flesh, however it may prick our hearts, however it may buffet us and our, our self-reliance and our defiance, Lord, we're resolved tonight to receive your word so that you can get glory and so that we can be made more like Christ. We'll be sure to thank you for it. Lord, we love you and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. As we said last Wednesday night, we spent a little bit of time with Elijah by the brook Cherit. And we preached on this thought, living in lean times. Elijah was living in lean times financially. Uh, there was a drought in the land. He was living in lean times spiritually. It was a time of a spiritual famine, spiritual drought, a time when idolatry and paganism was running rampant through the land of Israel. And then it was a socially lean time. Uh, there by the brook Cherith, he had no companions. He had no friends. He had no one to encourage him in his life. And yet, during that time, he lived and was used of God in a mighty way. Uh, let me just remind you, we're living in similar times today. We're living in times of financial leanness. I'm praying for some of you folks trying to buy houses, amen? It's a, it's a tough time to be doing it. But God is a God of provision, amen? He's a God of providence, amen? He has the ability to lead us and guide us. And where God makes a way, He also will pay. He will do what He promised that He would do. And so we're living, though, in financially lean times. There's not a single person in this room that has not been touched by the financial hardship that we are experiencing. You can go to the grocery store and feel it. You can go to the gas pump and feel it. it you know, it, for a long time, conventional wisdom was, hey, best thing you can do is take the money and save it because then nothing happens to it. We're living in days where you can save it and they can still rob 17, 20% of it. 
So we're living in financially lean times. But I got news for you. Hey, God's not floating any checks. Amen. He has uh, all that it takes to provide for his people. Then we're living in spiritually lean times. Times when the Word of God, though uh, we have more access to the Word of God now than we've ever had in human history, it has probably never been more lightly regarded than it is today in our society. Spiritually lean times where we're craving and praying and thirsting after righteousness and for God to do something in our midst. And then it's a reality for many that we are living in socially lean times. Times when companionship, friendship, encouragement. Hey, the Bible says iron sharpeneth iron. What happens if you don't have that? Well, you rust. Amen. You get dull and you rust. I mean, we all need that interaction one with another of encouragement, spiritual fellowship. And yet still, even in these times, we can grow and serve the Lord. But I want us to turn our attention away from Elijah tonight. I want us to look at this widow woman in a place called Zarephath. This is a Gentile city. This is a woman that to our understanding and to our awareness had no real concept of the true God of Israel. But then here comes the prophet of God walking into her life one day. And God, through this process, reveals himself unto her and makes a life-altering transition and change in her life. That sounds real good, don't it? Uh, but we're sitting on this side of Scripture, you understand. Imagine being that woman standing there outside the gate of the city just trying to find two sticks that nobody's picked up yet to burn that she can take home and make a fire and make a final meal uh, for her and her son before they go to perish. She, likewise, was living in lean times. But I want to preach to you on this thought tonight. And it's similar. It's a little different, though, because God calls on this woman not just to survive, but to serve during these times. I want to preach to you on this thought, serving during sparse times. In our life, when things are not ideal, when they're not how we wish they were, will we still serve God? I want you to think about this woman's situation with me for just a moment and think about what a time this was for her. What was life like for her? I think we all imagine that it's easy to serve God when it's easy to serve God. But can I tell you, hey, listen, it's never to your flesh easy to serve God. If you're waiting for everything to work out before you serve God, I tell you this, you're going to keep waiting. Everything's not just going to work out. You're going to have to serve him in spite of the obstacles that exist in your life. And that's what this woman is called on to do. There's three things I would note about this woman's situation. Number one, it was a barren time for her. The Bible tells us that she is impoverished. I've often thought how humorous it must have been when Elijah walked up. I mean, we know that this widow woman is poor, that she doesn't even literally doesn't have two sticks to rub together. But Elijah doesn't know that when God says, I'm going to send you to a widow woman to sustain you. He's probably thinking, well, this is some lady that married into money and died and she's got a big old fat bank account and that's why God's sending me to her. Then he rounds the corner and finds this poor, pitiful, wretched woman out there picking up sticks and looks at her and says, now, where's where's the rich house around? You got a rich widow around here? And uh, she says, no, I'm the only widow. I guess I'm the one God sent you to. He literally finds this woman at a place of despondency. A time when she does not even have the things that she needs to function. And yet, that was the moment when God chose to use her. I got news for you. Sometimes in your life, not just financial barrenness, but also spiritual barrenness, emotional barrenness. Often we think that the way this should work is God lays up a great store of whatever commodity we need to serve him and then draws from that. That's not how God does things. Instead, God supernaturally hooks us into himself as a resource and allows even through our barrenness for us to be used of Him. It was a barren time in her life. Not when things were going well, 
But when things were going lean, when things were going difficult, we would say it this way. It was the worst possible time. And yet that's the time that God chose. It was a barren time. Number two, it was a burdensome time. I I just and all these sort of tie in together. But let me just say it this way. Let me let me say it how I think her flesh probably said it to her. I got too many things to worry about to be dealing with this as well. Her heart was heavy. Her life was laden down with troubles and problems. And I'll just be honest. Sometimes we get the idea that if we have problems, that exempts us from serving the Lord. Got news for you. You've got problems, I'm sure. I've got some. I'm not interested in sitting here and comparing mine to yours uh, because none of ours compare to Calvary. None of ours compare to the Lord Jesus's. But I'll just tell you this. You're going to have to serve God sometimes even when you've got problems in your life. I'm talking about when you're sick. I'm talking about when you're struggling financially. I'm talking about when your heart is broken. I'm talking about when you're confused and navigating murky waters of decisions in your life. None of that is an excuse to say, all right, Lord, now I'm going to quit and we'll pick up when things get easier. It was a burdensome time in her life. And then I would say this, it was a busy time in her life. Now, somebody's going to say, now, preacher, what do you mean busy? We don't know of a job that she has. We don't know of a hobby uh, hobby that she enjoyed. We don't know of any responsibilities she had. You just say this, nothing is harder work than being poor. I mean, this woman's out there trying to rub two sticks together, trying to find. and, And I guarantee you, if it's this hard to find two sticks, she might be having to fight over the ones that she finds. She's just literally trying to scrape and claw her way through. This is something that we sort of lost perspective on, I think, in modern days. But man, there's a lot of stuff that you and I enjoy as creature comforts in society that, you know, you go back 500 years ago, they didn't have hobbies. You know what hobbies were? Surviving. That's what hobbies were. You know what somebody's hobby was? I'm going to go try to find something to eat today so I don't starve. And things like leisurely activities were something that was only afforded to landed elites that reigned over kingdoms of other people to do work for them. The poor folks, it was everything they could do just to scrimp and save and scrounge and claw and survive. And this woman is in that situation. I don't think it's inappropriate to say that certainly from a human perspective, she did have more important things going on than going and making a cake for this prophet that wandered into her life. I got news for you. Your life never gets so busy. Right, let me let me share you a little piece of advice my daddy gave me when, when I was. Uh, I guess he he told all of us when we was getting married, and I'm sure he told us many times. And it regarded tithing. He made this statement. He said, "Son, you you cannot afford to not tithe." And I found this to be true in my adult life. God's going to get his tithe. Right. Now listen, money's good. I'm not, I ain't up here trying to squeeze you and needle you. After camp we might be, amen, but I'm not trying to do it right now. But the idea being this, God's going to get his tithe. He, he, he can get it in the offering plate or he can get it at the mechanic or he can get it at the hospital or he can get it through the light bill. But you're better off to go ahead and just give God what's his than you are to try to rob it from him and then have to pay the, the price of doing so. Hey, there's a parallel here when it regards our serving the Lord. You say, well, preacher, I'm too busy to serve God. Has it ever dawned on you, you might be so busy because you're not serving God? Maybe if you prioritize the Lord in your life, God would take some of that busy work and clear it off your life to give you room to do something meaningful as opposed to just gathering up sticks to make a fire that's going to burn out just the same. It was a busy time in this woman's life. And yet that's the time that God chose. How easy it is to say, well, preacher, I'm just, I'm too busy, I'm too busy. And yet we look at the life and the pattern of the Lord Jesus. And at the busiest moments of ministry, you know what he did? He withdrew away, went into a mountain place, went into the wilderness, got alone and prayed. At the most inopportune time, he would 
sequester himself away so that him and the Lord could spend some time together and he could gain the spiritual refreshment and strength that he needs. tells me this, that we've got to prioritize it in our lives. It was a busy time in this woman's life. In fact, we would say this. If you had picked a day on the calendar of this woman's life and said, don't pick that day for Elijah to walk by, it would have been this day. It was the worst possible time, and yet it was the time God chose, and it was the time that God used her and changed her life. Now let's stop and think about how this process went. I've got three thoughts for you tonight. Number one, I want us to notice the challenges that were defeating her. Now we've sort of already plowed some of this ground. I'm not going to lean into it, but I want you to think about where this woman is at in her life. There's three things that define her situation. Far as we know, we don't know her name. We don't know her age. She could have been a young widow, an older widow. We know that she had a son uh, that she needed to, to feed. So we, you know, we, we can maybe try to extrapolate some things that he's not working. So uh, probably he is a, a younger child. But there's three things we do know that we can notice about her. Number one, I want you to notice she had lost her husband. And you say, preacher, of course she lost her husband. She's a widow. Well, yeah. And for you, reading a narrative in the Word of God, divorced from the reality of it, that's an easy thing to just brush past. But think for a moment about the pain that this woman is experiencing. She's hurting. We don't know how long ago it was, but I think it is a fair assumption that her husband, in, in taking care of her, in supporting her, that probably it had not been very long prior to that. The obviously are poor people, and she has reached this place of despondency in which she's literally preparing her last meal. That implies to me uh, that she her, lost her husband unprepared, unaware. She has a child she must feed. Chances are this was an unexpected thing in her life. She is suffering. Her heart is broken through this. And can I tell you this? Sometimes you're going to have to serve God even when your heart's broken. Even when people break your heart in a thousand pieces. I'm not going to tell you a bunch of sad stories about being a pastor. Hey, God's blessed me too many times and too much for me to sit up here and, and preach complain about pastoring. But suffice it to say that in your life and mine, just because our hearts hurt and just because people hurt us, just because things happen in our life, just because we experience loss, just because things happen we don't understand, none of that is an excuse to say, now, Lord, I'm not going to serve you anymore. I'm just going to quit. I'd say, number one, she lost her husband. Now, number two, we can extrapolate from that this thought. She had lost her health. And you say, how do you know that, preacher? Well, because she, by herself, is out gathering these sticks with her son, her and her son, no one else. The question must be asked then, where's the rest of her family? Did she have any siblings? Did she have a mother and father that would have possibly still been alive? Did she have any extended family? I mean, remember, this is not a time when people are crisscrossing the country for job opportunities. This is a time whenever families hung close. And it's reasonable to expect and anticipate if there had been family, they would have been there to help. What about neighbors? There's no one around. I mean, Zarephath, to our knowledge, it's a city, it's a place, it's a location with other people. And yet there is no one there that is willing to help. Oftentimes we say in our life, well, I'll serve the Lord once the Lord gives me the people I need and helps me to do it. If I had more support, if I had more encouragement, if I had more people around me, if I had someone to lead the way, then I would serve him. I'll tell you a little secret that the flesh don't want you to know. Oftentimes you're going to have to resolve to serve him whether anybody helps or not. She had no help in her life, no one supporting her, no one encouraging her. And she had lost not only her husband and her help, but evidently she had lost her hope. Uh, listen to how she says it in, in our text down here. Whenever Elijah cries back and, and, and hollers after her, says, bring me a morsel of bread in thy hand. Verse 12, she said, as the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil 
in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son that we may eat it and die. Now, she had given up hope that anything was going to change in her life. She had resolved herself to the fact that this was their final meal. Now, I think it's reasonable to assume that had they been on the brink of of starvation, probably they couldn't have been out there gathering sticks. So it's not as though she's saying, you know, we're sick, we're ill, too much time has passed, we're too weak. She's merely saying, I'm out of options. This is the last thing I can do. And then we're just going to sit there and wait to die. Once you notice something in this perspective, her focus had shifted away from service into mere survival. She no longer cares about anyone other than her and her son. That's her only interest. Now, let me say this. Far be it from us to blame this woman for that despondence. I'm not criticizing. But I'm merely asking this question. Do we, when things get sparse in our life, do we shift from service to survival? To where we can't even process the notion of giving more of ourselves to God because we're doing everything we can to try to keep what we've got of us surviving. She's not even thinking. It's unthinkable to her that Elijah would ask this of her. And by the way, let me remind you, it it is Elijah, but it's more than Elijah. It's the word of the Lord. It's God that's asking this of her. She could have very easily let this moment pass her by because her only focus was on getting through. I, I, man, listen, I, I don't want, I don't want to, I don't want to say something out of place. And I don't want to say something that is, that is naive and, 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 and is unthinking. But I would say this, if our life gets to the place where the only thing we got bandwidth for is making it to the very next day, we've quit living in the first place. Now, we've learned this as a society where life was stripped of all meaning, all social interaction, all meaningful activity, and you said it and I said it. And we heard a million people say things like this, that it's not really life if this is how we're living. it. But why can we not apply that to the spiritual realm as well and say, if all we're trying to do is just claw through and make it to the next day. Now, I'm not saying you're not going to have some dark moments in your life where it feels like that. But this woman had yielded herself to this perspective such that she had no anticipation that God was ever going to do anything else in her life. Her only focus was, I just got to survive long as I can. Let me tell you something. There's better ways to live than that. There's better ways to live. I don't care how lean things are, how tough things are. God's still on his throne. God still has a plan for you. God's still doing things in your life. Don't yield to that hopeless perspective. Now, again, I'm not fussing at her. I'm not fussing at you. I'm just saying there's better ways. And we find from our text that God draws this woman out of this mindset and gives her a future. So I see the challenges that were defeating her. And I don't think there's a single one of these that any of us would, would in cynicism criticize her over. I think we could all probably identify with the temptation to be in the same situation that she's in. But I'm thankful God doesn't just stand back and examine her and, 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 and just speculate. He doesn't just give a prognosis. He gives a solution. He gives a cure. And so what does God do in her life? Well, notice what happens. Elijah walks into uh, the city or outside the gates of the city and he, he sees this woman gathering sticks and he called to her and there's basically three interactions that take place. The first is in verse number 10. He called to her and said, fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. Verse 11 says as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. She gives her reasons why she cannot do that. And then there's a third, verse 13, Elijah said unto her, Fear not, 
Go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. So we could say it this way. There's three charges that are given to her or three things that are asked of her. Uh, Water is asked, then bread is asked, and then that request is doubled down on to be responded to in faith. But stop and think about what God's asking for from this woman. Notice, number one, the first thing that he asked was according to her provisions. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, she had no food. As far as we know, she wasn't short on water. She doesn't balk at the request to go and get water. And it's actually interesting. You imagine being Elijah for a moment. God just took Elijah from a place with no water but plenty of food to a place with no food but plenty of water. And so he walks in and asks this woman, and and she doesn't even think it odd or amiss, and she certainly doesn't, doesn't halt at that request. She just immediately goes and gets water. What can we construe from that? What can we assume from that? Well, one simple thing, she had water. She had plenty of water. She had some source. There was a well. There was something there that she was able to draw from. And it reminds me of this truth. You know, oftentimes the first thing that God asks for is something we're already holding in our hand. He'll ask us for something that we've already got. And oftentimes he'll even ask us for something that we've got an abundance of. Now stop and think about this for a moment. God didn't need the water uh, any more than he needed the bread. Uh, He could have provided any of those. He brought water from the rock when Moses smote it and would have brought it again from it uh, at the spoken word if Moses had obeyed the Lord and spoken instead of smiting it again. God has no need for her to do this, but he's desiring to do something in her life through this. Often God will ask you for something that's small. And it may not be something your flesh thinks is small, but it'll be something within the scope of something you already have and often something that's not even that meaningful of a sacrifice. So the first thing that he asked for, he asked according to provisions. He wants water. What does God want to see? He wants to see obedience out of this woman. That's why God asked for those things. He wants you to obey. He wants to see in your life. And more than him seeing, because he already knows what you will and won't do, he wants you to experience the process of responding to his word. Can I tell you, a lot of times our flesh tells us that the scariest thing we can ever do is serve God. Go ahead and serve God. You'll find out your flesh is a liar. You'll find that out. This woman went and got that water. It wasn't no big deal. She was on her way. But then before she even gets it, Elijah hollers back at her and says, oh, by the way, bring me some cornbread while you're gone. While you're gone. Some cornbread. If you look at the Hebrew, that's what it is. Bring, bring, me, bring me a morsel of bread. Now, this is an interesting thing to ask. It's interesting for a number of reasons. One, it's interesting God's asking for this because the, the, the brook dried up, but the ravens didn't all die. Uh, God could have just as easily sent ravens by to provide but we see a change in the means and channel of ministration of his grace in Elijah's life. In other words, it tells me this. God didn't do this because he needed her. God did this because she needed to do it. She needed him. God don't use you and me because he's run out of options. Let me tell you something. You couldn't never be so hard up that you'd need to use somebody like you or like me. Uh, God doesn't do that because he needs you and me. God does that because we need to be used of God in that way. So God could have easily provided this, but he didn't. He he wants to use this woman to do it. He wants her life to be changed through the process of yielding to the Lord and seeing, responding in faith and seeing God answer and seeing that God is real. So the first thing he asks is for water. And then he hollers out and he says, bring me a cake. And she has an interesting reply to it. Verse number 12. She said, as the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, 
But she said, this is what I do have. I have a handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son that we may eat it and die. First thing that he asked, he asked according to her provisions. Second thing he asked, he asked according to her potential. She didn't have a cake, but she did have the means to bake a cake. In other words, the first thing was, just take what you got in your hand and give it to me. The second is, now I want you to put a little effort in, and I want you to go, and I want you to strive, and I want you to serve, and I want you to create something through my blessing, through my help, and through my grace that will be to my benefit and my glory and my satisfaction. God will take us a step further than just saying, well, just give me something that you've got that you've got in abundance. Now he's asking something that is a priority to her, something that's going to cost her her time, something that's going to require faith of her. And i got news for you. If you're going to serve the Lord, oftentimes, man, and we can look back at them precious days when we as a new Christian and God's just asking us to do the basic of things, uh, but pretty soon you're going to grow beyond that. God's going to be asking you to do things that are going to take effort on your part, and He's going to be asking you things that are going to mean sacrifice if you're going to give them. She could give the water and have plenty of water left over, but she could not bake this cake without taking food out of the mouth of her and her child. Now she had a choice that had to be made. But what does Elijah say to that? Elijah says in verse 13, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said. Now, I I just got to pause there for a minute. This could have just as easily said, don't worry about that, instead feed me. But that's not what Elijah says. The Lord says, oh, you're going to get to do that. But before you get to do that, you're going to first have to put the Lord's work first in your life. What a blessing it is that God doesn't, God does not just ask for blind, brutal servitude. He reminds us that He blesses those that honor Him. He, he rewards those that serve Him. And, and listen, we ought to, even if He never gave us a thing, we ought to serve Him. But let me tell you how precious God is. He reminds us that if we give to Him, He gives back, pressed down, together, shaken, overflowing in abundance. He reminds us that, man, if we'll put Him first, He'll bless us for it. So Elijah says, fear not. Go and do as thou hast said. Yeah, that's what you're going to do. You're going to make a meal, but... Make me thereof a little cake first and bring it unto me and after make for thee and for thy son. Verse 14 tells us what happens. Elijah says to her, For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. So the first thing is asked according to her provisions. She has water in abundance. The second is asked according to her potential. She doesn't have this, but she does have the means to make this if she'll just put God first in this scenario. Then the third time, he's really just doubling down on what he's already asked for. But in doing so, he reveals that God has a plan to provide in this situation. And that's the third thought. The third is that it was asked according to God's plan. You may not have a plan for it, but I promise you, God's not nearly as nearsighted as we are. God has a plan. There's been times, if I'm being, I shouldn't even say what I'm about to say. You're never going to want to trust me or follow me into anything ever again. There's been times I've started stuff and I didn't have a plan. I mean, it was just, I like the idea of this. Let's see what happens when we go down this road. Uh, God's better than you and better than me. and He never does that. God always has a plan. You may not always get to know that plan ahead of time. But it's not because God don't have a plan. He ain't figuring it out, right? He's, he's, he's the beginning and the ending. He knows the ending from the beginning. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He always has a plan. You may not know what it is. But he always has a plan. And if he's asking something of your life, it's because 
that fits into the plan that he's desiring to do. We often view it as, well, God's just asking this because, well, he's, he deserves it, and I guess I should give it, and that's just the way it goes. And, and you know, I guess I'll do this just out of, out of pure loyalty unto the Lord and sense of duty. But can I remind you, this woman was helping no one more than herself by giving to the Lord. She gave unto the Lord. Now, notice this. There's a third thing. The challenges that were defeating her. She lost her husband, her help, and her hope. The charge that was delivered to her. What God asked for. Asked according to her provisions, her potential, and then according and always to God's plan. But then notice the changes that were demanded of her. Verse 13. Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake, notice this word, first, and bring it unto me. And after, make for thee and for thy son. You know, God has divinely positioned himself and particularly himself in the person of Christ in first place. Book of Colossians says it this way, that in all things he might have the preeminence. And there's a lot of things that God don't mind you having as long as he is always in first place. And it's not that God wanted Elijah to eat first. It's that God wanted to himself be first in this woman's affections and devotions and her dedication. And so the first thing that was changed for this woman, if she was going to serve God during this sparse time, there had to, number one, be a change in her priorities. Her first priorities were me and mine, me and my son. My priority is not to do anything other than get a meal on the table. Now, again, lest we be critical of this woman, that's not a bad idea when you're starving to death. But do you want to always be living spiritually starving to death in your life? Or would you rather go beyond that and be living on the bounty of God's grace and God's provision? Let me tell you what you're going to have to do. This woman went from starving to feasting. She went from having nothing to having plenty. But what it took was her putting the Lord first in her life. She'll never be the worst for putting God first. Put Him first in your life. And you'll find that he will always, hey, he won't neglect your needs. I promise you that. He's too good of a heavenly father. He, he wants you to have the things not only that you need, but even the things that you desire in as much as they please him and, and are good for you. But here's what it's going to take. You're going to have to put him first. This woman had to make this cake first for her. And then what changed? Well, verse 14, Elijah says this, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days. Now, back up and compare that to what she had said in verse number 12. Here's what's going to happen, preacher. We're going to eat it and die. She was wrong. Because she put God first, what happened? They did eat many days. There was a change in her priorities, and then that begat a change in her prospects. There's no telling what God can do with your life if you'll put him first. Uh, now, I'll tell you this, that bleak perspective that your flesh and your mind and your anxiety gives you, that is a million percent your future if you put your flesh first. Uh, your flesh isn't lying to you necessarily. It's just giving you half the picture. It doesn't want you to see what your future could look like if you put God first. This woman put the Lord first, and she ate many, many days. She went from having no future to having a glorious future because she put the Lord first. And then there was a third thing that changed. The Bible says, verse 16, the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. There was a change in her priorities and in her prospects. And then, after that, there was a change in her provision. 
God met the need that she couldn't meet herself. Now, notice what it says. It does not say that the barrel of meal overflowed. It does not say that the cruise of oil overflowed. Rather, it says that it wasted not and that it didn't fail. It tells me this. That we wish, here's what we wish God would do. We wish we'd say, all right, Lord, I'm putting you first in my life. And he'd back a big old dump truck load, a big old tractor trailer load of meal at our front door and drop it off. So we can sit back and look at it and think, oh, boy, I'm so secure. I've got such a future. You know, the problem is we'd start trusting in the meal instead of the master. We'd start trusting in the oil instead of trusting in him. And so instead, here's what he does. Oftentimes, he'll let it hover at the bottom, but he will always make sure that there's always enough. Think about the miracle that's taking place here. You know, at some point, indiscernible to this woman, she reached in there and she thought she was getting another handful. But at some point, her last handful became God's first handful. The God of glory reached through that barrel of meal and put a big old pile of meal right in her hand. And she didn't know when that happened. She just kept reaching in and God kept meeting the need. You know, in your life, oftentimes that's how it's going to go. You won't be able to explain how those needs are met. I can tell you person after person that could show you month after month where they got more month than paycheck. They always make sure they're paying their tithe. If they're giving to missions, they, they make it a priority. They, they let the Lord have the, the priority in their giving and in their time and in their attention in their life. And, and they can't explain it, but month after month, they reach into that barrel and there's more meal there. They reach into that cruise. They go to pour it out and more comes out. They can't explain how. Well, what's happened there? Well, God's making up the difference in their life. I tell you this, you'll never be poorer than when you rob God. You'll never be busier than when you prioritize self. You'll never be more stressed than when life's about you. But if you'll make it about Christ, you'll find that there's blessings abundant far beyond what we could ever have. Hey, we'll serve Him during, during plentiful times. Are we willing to serve Him even during sparse times? I know that you are, but I want to encourage you to keep doing it tonight. Let's bow together as musician comes to play. The altar's open. Maybe you just need to spend a few moments thanking the Lord for a barrel of meal that never, never failed. Uh, a cruise of oil that never failed. Maybe you just have, uh, there's just something when I was preaching, God brought to your mind a moment, an occasion in your life where you ran out a month, but God made sure that the, the, the means was there. A, a time when you had something that you couldn't, you couldn't overcome. You, you had no means and God just put it right there where it needed to be in your life. Won't you come down and thank Him for that? That'd be a good way. If for no other reason, even if God didn't deal with you about something, you ought to find a place and just say, Lord, I want to thank you that the barrel has never wasted and the cruise has never failed. Father, bless this time of invitation. We ask it in Christ's name with us.